0: Hey, I'm Paul.
1: And I'm Christian. Welcome to I'm Dying to Tell You, inspiration shared by our mom who is dying from ALS. There's no cure for our mom or anyone else with ALS. But right now, she's on a mission to find and share stories of inspiration. Coming to you from Cincinnati, Ohio, we're happy to introduce the one lady we've both loved since the first day we laid eyes on her, the queen of the queen city, our mom, your host, Lori.
0: Oh my gosh, I don't think I'll ever get tired of that intro. Thank you to my sons, Paul and Christian, for that. I'm Lori, your host of I'm Dying to Tell You. And I am super excited that you're here. I am so happy to share this conversation with you. I caught up with a guy named Brad Aronson from Philadelphia. And First of all, what an incredible man he is. He's just a giver at heart, and he has created a book called Humankind. It's so precious because of the motivation to write the book and also the stories that he brings from other people to show how one act of kindness can change your life. So Brad is a husband, a dad, entrepreneur, mentor, and volunteer. Uh, He invests in startup companies, and he volunteers with HopeWorks and Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and he teaches entrepreneurship in Camden, New Jersey. He is just, like I said, a big giver and... He and his wife Mia were going through her leukemia battle together and they had so many people show up and really illustrate what one act of kindness can do. Brad has taken the time to write about these experiences and then also go a step further and reach out globally and learn about other people whose lives have been changed by someone doing one small gesture for them. He has some incredible stories in this book, and some of them he's going to share with us today. And I'm so excited for you to meet him and hear from him and about his book, Kind. Let's go ahead and jump into our conversation. Thanks for being here. Welcome, Brad. Thank you so much for coming on and joining me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here.
0: I must have connected with you on Instagram, and I was so encouraged by what you're doing, the book that you have written, Humankind, and the inspiration for it all. So, why don't you? Lay the groundwork and tell me about what was going on in your life before you wrote the book.
1: So before writing the book, I feel like we took everything for granted. You know, you just assume you're gonna be healthy. We assume that we can make all these plans about what's gonna happen and and then you find out that it's out of your control and all of a sudden you've got, you know, for us it was this really scary diagnosis for Mia, where the doctor said you have leukemia. You need to go to the hospital immediately if you're lucky you'll get out in 30 days and then you will have two and a half years of 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 outpatient chemotherapy which is basically going back to the the hospital every day and you go from kind of having all these grand plans of what you're going to do and things you're going to do and suddenly you're in this world of oh my goodness what's happening how am i going to manage and and of course you're also thinking why me right why is this happening to me Uh, and of course it's going to happen to someone, but, but, you know, I couldn't help but ask that question. Why, why us?
0: Yeah. So Mia, yeah, your wife, she is in the hospital in her treatment and you really get a dose of what life can be like for a while. And you have a lot of people around you who are loving on you and giving you some advice on how to get through this tough time. So I know that there were some people and they were influential to say, why don't you do something to occupy your mind in another way, right? Your time and energy, which I love that. So tell me about that person and kind of like that moment in time that you were like, I can shift some of my focus in a healthy way.
1: So we had been going through treatment actually for a few months at that point. Okay. And the nurses suggested we go to a conference for young cancer patients and their caregivers. We almost didn't go because we felt like every single day of the week we were dealing with cancer. We didn't want yeah. to talk about it on the weekends. Oh, but, yeah. but then, you know, if you've been through a health crisis, I think most people see that the nurses are amazing. And they're, yeah. they're the ones who got us through what we were going through. And we decided if they thought we should go, we should go. And one of the speakers there had been through the exact same treatment as Mia. And she said, if you have two and a half years of treatment ahead of you, you need a a project to give you a distraction and something to do and a purpose while you're in the hospital. So we all, our whole family, everyone came up with a project. Mia's project was she was going to draw a picture or or, or write a couple sentences in a journal every day. Jack, our, our son, who was five at the time, he is a diehard Philadelphia Phillies fan. And his mm. project was to play 200 days of wiffle ball in a row. And he'd wear his Phillies hat. And he has like a little Phillies necklace and wristbands and a shirt, and shorts and socks. And we played every day for 200 days. Oh. Uh, I don't know if you followed baseball, but that was the Phillies best season. They won 200 games in a row, defeating, destroying whatever team I was representing.
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh,
1: he was a good luck charm. He was a good luck charm. He, was, he, uh-huh. he had so much fun. And I think really he knew there was stuff going on and his way of contributing he thought was being engaged in this project and, and he was going to do it no matter what and it turned out to be fun. And then for my project, I decided I'd write about the small acts of kindness that helped us get through that time. So I had always been a volunteer and someone who tried to help others. I was really bad at accepting help People would come and say, what can I do for you? And I'd say, I'll get back to you or give me a job. I'd be like, yes, yes, I'll give you a job, but, but not now. Yeah. And I never got back to anyone. Luckily, people just started stepping up and doing things. So our neighbors would call and say, we're going to Trader Joe's. What can we get for you while we're there? Which was a beautiful way of asking. It wasn't, do you need anything? Can we get you something? It was, we're already going. What can we get for you? My wife's friend, Dawn, who called and said, it's Little League registration time. And I know Mia usually does the registration and Jack loves baseball. I'm going to sign Jack up. And she got him placed on a team with a friend who could drive him back and forth to practice and games because I was in the hospital so much. And Mia obviously was in the hospital so much. And like, we live in Philadelphia. This is a massive city with a giant Little League with too few volunteers and a very reasonable policy of you cannot under any circumstances request to be on someone's team, but yeah. done, you know, made huh. it work and it was great. I didn't have to explain to someone what was going on in our lives. Cause you know, at that point we weren't sharing this with people. They knew these friends would drive him. It was great. Uh, the woman at school, I remember when I brought in the pickup list for our son, because at that age, you, your kid can't get dismissed from oh, school. Yeah. Right. And I had 25 people on the list. Because I was in the hospital so much, I couldn't always make drop-off. And she's like, wow, this is the biggest pickup list I've ever seen in my life. And it made me think, I am so lucky all these people volunteered and were now approved. So on any given day, I could call any 25. And when they went into school and showed their ID, they'd be on that list. Like people Uh. just stepped up and did things. So for my project, I wrote about those small acts of kindness that really changed, changed our lives.
0: I love that your network stepped up and said, this is what we can do. This is what we're going to do. Because I even know myself, let me know if there's anything I can do. What can I do to help? You can't explain that to someone and you don't know what you need at that moment. So I love that people were had that insight to say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm getting Jack on my team. I'm going to take that off of your plate and just... Doing it. Yeah.
1: It's something I never realized. So before then I would always tell people, Let me know what I could do for you because I figured they knew better than me. (laughs) Right. And it was through this experience that I learned, Oh my goodness, I just need to show up at their house and shovel their snow or clean their toilets or drop off food. Like I just need to do it. But I never I had no idea before this.
0: Yeah. What are some of those little things you couldn't even have thought of that made such a huge difference? in your life? And someone might think, eh, you don't need that, or that's not good enough. or
1: I love that question. What I found was that when we were going through such an emotional time, the littlest things made the biggest difference. And I'll point out that something that I, so for my book, I interviewed hundreds of people who had a small act of kindness change their lives. And there was one thing that every one of them agreed on. <laughs> and it's uh-huh. that just being seen mattered. And as an example, Mia got an email and it said, Dear Mia, you don't know me, but my daughter is in your son Jack's class and I heard what's going on. And I just want to let you know that I'm here for you and I'm rooting for you. That note brought both of us to tears. If I had seen that note before Mia was in treatment, I would have been like, oh, that's nice. But having been there, that little bit of thoughtfulness just touches your heart and gives you the strength to keep on going. Uh, You know, we had a friend when Mia was in the hospital and she said, you know what? I'm coming down to the hospital. I'm going to just sit outside your room. And if you want me to do anything, get me. And if not, I'm just there. I'm going to bring my computer. I could do work. Wow. And Just the fact that she would do that and tell us, you don't have to see me if you're not feeling up to it. I'm here in case you want to be with me because I love you. So being there with a note, which any of us can do is like send a text message or an email like I'm thinking of you can make a massive difference.
0: And I think sometimes you think, well, okay, thinking of you, I'm here for you. I don't have much more to say. I don't know what else to say. I don't want to be insensitive. I don't want to make you sad, but what you're saying is thinking of you, it's good enough and it goes a long way or I'm here for you, period, is huge.
1: Yes. And you know what some people did, which was super nice, like like people would drop off uh, some cartoons and say, hey, I thought these were funny and you might like them. So they didn't have to say we know you have cancer and that sucks or anything like yeah. that. It was just, we knew that, that they were thinking of us and, and yeah. you don't have to talk about what's going on because they might not want right. to just being there and talking about life. Yeah,
0: humor. Humor is always good too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Can we go back? And I know that you talked about in your book, one of the moments that you realized that as a world today, we just need to hear more of the good stuff. And you were talking about a graduation that didn't make the news. Can you tell us about that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I went to the graduation of a mentee of mine. She graduated from a high school in Philadelphia called Girard College. And even, it is a high school, even though it's called Gerard College. Yeah. And uh, I don't know why it's called college, but it yeah. is. Huh. And at her graduation, on my left-hand side was this 70-something-year-old man and he told me that he graduated from Girard and the school changed his life so that every year he comes to graduation, he drives two hours to be there because he wants to support the next generation of students. And, and there's this part in the ceremony where you all sing the, the school song. And he stood up and belted it out so proud. I was like, oh, my goodness. And on my other side was this woman and she was crying. She said she thought her daughter would be dead or in jail. And here her daughter was graduating. The commencement speaker gets up and tells us that it's an extraordinary day. The students at Girard are from areas of Philadelphia where it's expected that many of them will drop out and very, very few will go on to college. Yet every single graduating student had been accepted to college. And for many of the families, this was the first person in the whole family who had gotten accepted to college. And he would said, this is so amazing. But the challenge facing these students is they're entering such a world of negativity where the negative is everywhere and something beautiful like Gerard's graduation won't even make the news. So of course, the next day I get up, I get online, I look (laughs) everywhere. There's nothing about Gerard. I even go out and buy our daily newspaper, the Philadelphia Inquirer, look through every page and there's nothing. And I was so disappointed. I, I felt like basically I was watching a live inspirational movie. It was a it was a Hallmark Channel movie. I'm watching yeah. it live. And yeah. if other people knew about it, they'd feel so good about the world and they'd be lifted up and they need to hear this. And I decided if I want people to know about these types of stories, I should write about them. Yeah. And that was one of the motivating factors that got me to start writing about people and happenings that inspire me.
0: So true. So, so very true. And I love the book, by the way. Thank Thank you you for sending it. I was going to buy it anyway. Okay. This is a perfect holiday gift. There is still time to order the book. It's called Humankind, Changing the World, One Small Act at a Time. So thank you so much. In the book, you say life is a series of single days. If we make up our minds to help each other through those days, before we know it, we'll be getting by. I love that so much on both ends of it.
1: Thank you for that feedback. It resonates so much with me because I feel like I do a lot in the nonprofit space uh, and trying to help young people.
0: Tell me about what you're doing.
1: You know, I've been a big brother for. I don't know, nine or 10 years at this point. Love my Mm -hmm. little brother. Uh, I've been engaged as a board member. I teach classes, entrepreneurship classes to young entrepreneurs who have, you know, had some unsteadiness in their lives, some challenges, some difficulties. And I love doing that and being engaged. And as I'm doing this, what I hear from lots of people is I feel so... Helpless because these are from other people who aren't in these programs. They say, I feel helpless because I see there's so many people who are homeless. There's so many people dropping out of school. There's so much wrong. How can I make a difference? Like, what can I do to make the world a better place? And they get frozen because they just don't see how they can make a difference. And all of us have the power in our daily interactions. If we open our eyes and say, How can I make someone's day today? We'll all be able to make at least one person's day. Even if it's just choosing someone we're thankful to have in our lives and sending them a note, letting them know why. Mm -hmm. And what I found in the book is it were these little interactions that people thought didn't mean anything that had life-changing impacts. There's Luis, who a conversation he had with an adult when he was a kid changed his whole life. And now Luis has dedicated his life to helping urban youth. And that's what he does because of this one conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's a kid who in third grade, someone taught him to tie his shoes. And that changed this kid's whole life. And now he's done all this good to help kids with disabilities. You just don't know the impact you're going to have. One thing we do know, though, is that we're going to feel good from doing it. It's a very rewarding experience.
0: And I love that not only did you write about your own experiences but you interviewed other people and like you said talked about that one moment in time with someone else that affected them forever and changed their life in some way so why don't you just talk a little bit about a couple other people that you did meet along the way and you know the story that they had to tell about how their act of kindness that they received changed their life forever.
1: Well, then I'll start with uh, Larry Stewart. So when Larry was a kid, he grew up in complete poverty, and, but didn't realize it until he went to school and found out that other kids had electricity and running water, uh, which he didn't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did well in school, wound up getting a job. But then the company that employed him went under, owing him three paychecks. And suddenly he couldn't afford housing, so he was homeless. He's living in a car, sleeping under his laundry to try to keep warm. And he just got so hungry one day that he went into the Dixie Diner with no money, ordered breakfast, having no idea how he'd pay for it. And he finishes eating, the bill comes, and he starts looking around on the ground and said, oh my goodness, I've I've lost my wallet. And the cook says, oh, you must have dropped this and picks up twenty dollars and gives it to larry and larry pays for his meal and at that moment larry decided that it was just so generous of the cook to do that and give him that money in a way that wasn't embarrassing larry decided he wanted to do that eventually uh you know of course it took larry a while to get back on his feet and when he did uh at one point he was at a restaurant. And it was one of those restaurants where you eat in your car and the people come and bring you food. And the waitress had a coat that had all these holes in it. And he thought it couldn't keep her warm. So he, gave, he paid and gave her a, a generous tip and said, keep the change. And she started crying. She said, you don't know what this means to me. And he's thinking in his head, I know absolutely what this <laughs> yeah. means to you. I've been here. <laughs> yeah. And he loved it so much that he then that night got $100 in 5 and $10 bills and just went around giving it to people he thought needed it. And he became this secret Santa figure where every year around the holidays, he'd go places where he thought people needed money and give it to them. He'd disguise himself so people didn't know who he was. Uh, He'd go down to Goodwill, and often he found grandparents who were raising their grandchildren, and he'd give them a few hundred dollars. He'd go to jobs where people were making minimum wage, and after the late shift, give people some money. And he worked with local fire departments where they'd tell him families in need. And he would help them. And there's all these stories online of people talking about how they weren't going to be able to have Christmas that year, or their utilities had gotten turned off, and now they could turn them back on, and how it it was a life-changing event for them. And Larry's doing this. And as the press is coming out that he's doing it, more and more people are deciding to become Secret Santas. And And there's a web presence where people would sign up. And there's these stories of all these other people who are doing it now. And over the years, at one point, Larry is, is ill, and a media outlet had discovered who was this secret Santa, and they were going to mm-hmm. spill the beans. Larry decided if they're going to do it, he wanted to do it himself in a way that would help get more secret Santas. So he shared the story with a newspaper. He, he was in Kansas City. It was a Kansas City newspaper. And it wound up going global about secret Santa and how it got started. And now this society of secret Santas. And that year, thousands of people signed on to be Secret Santas. And from the emails that came in from people who were the recipients, you could tell that there were thousands, tens of thousands of people now who are Secret Santas around the world because they were inspired by what Larry did. And in one community, they gave all the police officers uh, thousands of dollars so they can go out and give gifts to kids in the community and try to build a better relationship. And they would help people with their mortgages and it was incredible when larry passed away he had given away a total of 1.4 million dollars and what's interesting is before that he tracked down ted horn who was the owner of the dixie diner and said you might not remember me but when you were the cook at the dixie diner you gave me twenty dollars and that twenty dollars led me to give away 1.4 million dollars And Ted also gave him, I think it was $10,000. He said he calculated the interest on that $20 over all these years. Oh, Um, my gosh. I know. And then when Larry, the Secret Santa died, they set up a foundation to help support future Secret Santas. And the Mm -hmm. first donation came from a parking attendant who said the gift he had gotten from Larry Stewart when Larry was Secret Santa was the first gift he ever got and it made such a difference in his life that he wanted to be the first to donate to this foundation and you look it all started with 20 dollars that someone used to help out somebody and, and that's incredible
0: wow oh, i'm trying not to cry i already knew that story oh my gosh wow is that still going on today
1: so yes uh there's someone new has kind of taken the helm And there are Mm -hmm. still many people, thousands of people who are serving as secret Santas around the world.
0: $20. Yes, it can
1: go a long way. Yeah.
0: yeah. What about Dan the coffee man?
1: Dan the coffee man. (laughs) So Dan was taking his father to chemotherapy and his father got through it, but then had a relapse of his Mm -hmm. cancer. So Dan was back and he noticed that so many of the same people were there. And he thought, I really want to do something to brighten up all these people who are getting treatment. So he stood up and said, who wants coffee? I'm going to go get coffee at Starbucks. And that first time he stood up, I think only a couple people were interested. As Dan Mm -hmm. told me, he said, they valued my dad's money way more than I did. So so Dan (laughs) went out and he got the Starbucks and brought it back. And the people who got it, they they were just happy and cheery. So he decided he would do it every Wednesday when he brought his dad in for treatment. Mm. And then... When his dad was finished with treatment, Larry wanted to keep going. So he just would show up every Wednesday and little by little more and more people were asking for coffees and he'd be bringing all these coffees. And he is a really chatty and funny guy. And he said he'd give out coffees and chat with people. Having been through chemo, that makes all the difference. Cause when you're getting chemo, uh, you know, my wife and I, you know, she of course was the one getting the chemo, but we'd be in this room by ourselves for hours. And mm. it's really nice when someone comes in and you just have a friendly conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they give you non-hospital coffee. It's great.
0: Uh, <laughs> non-hospital. So, yeah. Yeah. So Dan huh.
1: did was doing all these coffee runs every Wednesday. And none of his friends knew about it. He never told anyone. And then one day, when he gets to Starbucks, that he always goes to the same Starbucks, the barista said, You can't come in yet. The TV crew's setting up. He's like, What do you mean? And she says, Well, I called the TV crew. I thought people should know about what you're doing. So the TV crew films him getting his coffees. The next day when he goes to Starbucks, there's a crowd of people there. And he says he remembers there was this huge construction worker who gave him a hundred bucks and said, go use this for coffee. And there was a dad and his kid who gave him money and said, use this for coffee. And all these people donated. And he said, then, of course, all his friends are calling. and be like, how come he never told us about this? Uh, but, but he wasn't in it to tell people about it. Yeah. And he's, he expanded. So he started doing one cancer center, and then he went to a second cancer center, and then he went to another nonprofit, and he's given out tens of thousands of cups of coffee. And, you know, there was this one, he sent me a picture of a girl for her Bat project. She decided to raise money for his coffee, mm-hmm. and she had gone and delivered it to him. And someone made this little cart that says, Dan, the coffee man, that he wheels around with his coffee. Aww. And... Oh. You know, he just he said it. It gives him such joy to be there. And you read the comments. So I, you know, talked to some patients and, and saw their comments. They said it just made all the difference. It's the high point of their treatment when he's doing that. Uh, and it's yeah. it's a beautiful story.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. There was something about you matter cards. You oh. matter because, in the end of every podcast, I say you are loved and not alone. Like you said, I see you, you matter, you're, you're loved and not alone. I was like, oh, I'm gonna do this. Tell me about that, that you matter card.
1: The you matter cards, it, it started with my friend Cheryl. She was working at a job where she was so stressed and she said it was a horrible work time for her. She couldn't sleep, she was anxious, she was so stressed. And one of her coworkers gave her a card. And it just said, you matter. And she said she got it and she burst out in tears and realized that someone was there for her and that they saw that she mattered. Mm -hmm. And because it had this impact on her, again, it's kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of being seen and knowing that someone sees you and cares. She decided that for her project, she was getting a, a degree in, I think it was organizational development. She would create her own you matter cards and just give them out to people. Mm-hmm. and at one point, she was in the supermarket line behind someone, and uh, the woman in line was talking to the cashier, and the cashier said, how's it going? And the woman said, not so good. You know, my my son is unemployed, and I, I can't find him, help him find a job. My husband just lost his job, and then she paid with food stamps, and it was just so sad. Cheryl said she didn't know what to do, and she finally decided and built up the courage in the parking lot to give her a card and said, I have this for you. I just want to give it to you. Mm-hmm. And Cheryl said the woman looked at the card and just cried and said, thank you. And mm-hmm. of course, then Cheryl went back to her car, car and she was so moved. She decided this needed to become a project. And then Cheryl decided she would start this movement of giving out You Matter cards. She asks people to give You Matter cards out to 30 people. And if you commit, I'm gonna give out You Matter cards mm-hmm. to 30 people, she will send you 30 mm-hmm. free cards. It's free, there's no shipping costs, yeah. nothing. I'm all trying to get people to help someone else by passing out these cards and millions of cards around the world have been mm. passed out and the stories come into her sight about people who. It built new bridges between them there were a, a mother and her daughter who hadn't spoken and the mom gave their kid this card and it opened up a conversation. Wow. And mm. all these beautiful stories and what Cheryl says is it gives us a reason when we have these cards to look around and say, okay, I want to let this person know that they matter. It's almost like our training wheels. And then we get good at it and we don't need the cards to do it anymore. We could do it on our own, Uh, but it's now it's the You Matter Marathon. It's enormous. It has such an impact and anyone can go to the You Matter Marathon website, sign up and get 30 cards to make 30 people know that Uh, they matter.
0: I love that. I have a friend and her name is Bunny And she's actually my friend's mom, and she's been my life forever. And she has always given out these Christian message cards. It's like, wherever you go, you know Bunny's going to be whipping out these cards at a restaurant, wherever. And it's so funny because some of the girls and I were together. We saw her recently, and she handed us the card like, oh, I still have my card. She's like, no, you're supposed to pass on the car. You're not supposed to keep it. And uh, I love that so much. It's so simple. And like you said, can often open up a conversation that you didn't even know was coming. You know,
1: S- simple is the yeah. best. I'm glad you brought that up because we tend to overthink. Like, I don't know what to do. I want to be helpful to this person. I want to support them. And we get stuck in our own yeah. thoughts. And it's as easy as just telling them they matter.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Okay. I want to talk about the motivation for your book format. So it has things that you've experienced, some of the stories that we're talking about, but at the end of every chapter, it says, what can you do? What can we do? It's really good. Like it makes us stop and think, okay, we all want to do something for others. How can we get started. So I love that. And then the hall of fame at the end. So tell me a little bit about how you came up with the unique format for this book.
1: The book had already been to the publisher to look at before I had signed on with them. And I had written the manuscript. I was very happy with it. And I was meeting with an agent and she said, what's your goal? And I said, my goal is for people to read this realize they can make a huge difference in the world and and go out and do it. And she said, well, you need to tell them that at the end of every chapter, you should have like, here's what you should do. And I remember thinking, man, I just spent years working on this and I totally (laughs) missed this idea. I need to do this. So I went back and added these sections to really make it easy. If you want to do something, if you read these stories about a small act of kindness that changes tens of thousands of lives or even one life, and you're inspired. At the end of the chapter, I tried to make it really easy. Here's things you can do today, in 15 yeah. minutes, that could have an enormous outcome. Yeah. So thank heaven she gave me that piece yeah. of advice uh, that really helped the book. And and yeah. the Hall of Fame was just. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we want to do things where we could really use a nonprofit's resources. Mm-hmm. And there's so many nonprofits, and a lot of them don't have bandwidth to work with volunteers, and they're busy. So I tried to pick out the ones that really can handle volunteers and have easy ways for us to get involved. Mm. So if you want to write letters to support foster kids, there's a nonprofit in there that could could match you with them. If you want to get uh, Christmas gifts for kids who otherwise wouldn't get Christmas gifts, there's a nonprofit to help you do that. Mm. If you want to write letters to seniors who are really lonely and want letters, there's a, a way to do that. So there's many different avenues. And again, I just tried to help filter from the hundreds of thousands of opportunities. What are the ones that are simple but very, very high impact?
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you for doing that, and thank you for writing the book and doing all that you do for others. I really appreciate you. You inspire me and. I'm just so happy that I connected with you. So Brad, what are you dying to tell us?
1: I'm dying to tell you that you can make a difference. We don't have to be geniuses. We don't need an army of helpers or a massive bank account. Like we can make a difference with small, thoughtful, purposeful actions every day in our lives that really change the lives of others. And that's what I hope to get across in in my book to people.
0: Awesome. And how can people connect with you and buy your book?
1: So people can connect with me through Facebook, Instagram. You could email me. It's my name, Brad Aronson at gmail.com. And you can buy my book at any online bookstore. Many brick and mortar bookstores carry it as well. And all the proceeds from the book go to Big Brothers Big Sisters, so it's a, yeah. a double bonus uh, when you when you get a book. Yeah, uh, you know, hopefully some people will give it a shot. And and thank you so much yeah. for having me on your show. Like yeah. you're an inspiration, and Aww. I appreciate you taking the time to have me here.
0: Aw, yeah, it's been all my pleasure for sure. Well, I have to ask, how is Mia doing, and how is Jack? Thank you
1: for asking. Mia is doing great. So. Good. She made it through all the treatment and all the, the measurements they do afterwards have been exactly what they should be. So we feel very grateful, very lucky. And, and Jack is doing great. He's now a 12-year-old boy who has tons of energy and Aww. always wants to be running around, never wants to be doing his homework, probably like most kids, and <laughs> yeah. tons of fun. Uh, we, feel, we feel really grateful.
0: Yeah. Well, I know you've created a great environment. I love reading about how you're the fun dad and, you know, I'm sure he's learning so many life lessons just with me I'm going through her challenges and you as a family and seeing you helping others. Can't think of a better role model for your son. So yeah, that's awesome.
1: Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for everything and being patient and rescheduling and all that stuff. I really appreciate you.
1: Thanks for having me. So I have to yeah. commend you. You have read a lot of my book in a short period of time. It is oh. rare that I talk to people who know so many yeah. stories in the book.
0: I read it quickly, actually. And I'm I'm not a huge reader, by the way. It was great. It was really, really good. And I'm definitely going to gift it to a couple of people. And it's a great book. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's nice meeting you. Really, really nice. nice. To meet you too. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I hope that you are encouraged to spread the word again and again. That one tiny gesture that you think could be no big deal, could be really huge to someone else and maybe even change their life. I am so grateful for Brad, for him writing this book, and just stirring up a lot within me to do better and to do more and to know that whatever it is, it is enough. If you want to check out Humankind, Brad's book, or gift it to someone, I will be putting links in the show notes, and you can find those on my website and Facebook, both at I'm dying to tell you podcast. If you are new to the podcast, I release new episodes of inspiration on even Tuesdays. That's the second and the fourth Tuesday of each month. If you want to follow and stay connected, you can find me pretty much everywhere at I'm Dying to Tell You podcast. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn on there. If you enjoyed this episode and you think someone might enjoy this podcast as well, it's super, super helpful. If you leave a review in a rating, people need to check that out to see if it's worth their time to listen. And I have the privilege of talking to so many people who have stories that can bless so many people. So thank you in advance for doing that. Thank you so much again for being here. Until next time, know you are loved and not alone. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you for listening to our mom. Make sure to visit her website at I'm imdyingtotellyoupodcast.com where you'll find photos and show notes about this episode. If you liked the show, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Thank you.